Welcome to Just to Know You, the podcast that interviews regular people at SAES and finds out they are far from regular. That's right. I'm your host, Darian Batten. And I'm Angela Kerskadden. Let's get started. Uh, well, welcome to Just to Know You. Uh, we are here with Richard Howard, our keynote speaker from our um, our Empower Summit, and we have a, a two a, a two host and one guest today. Yes, Darian Batten is here. Uh, just um, happy to be with Mr. Richard P. Howard. Uh, what does the P stand for? Uh, my great grandfather was named Barzilla. There's a name. He preferred his middle name, Page. <laughs> so he became known as B. Page, and all the Howard boys since have been had the middle name of Page. And we're working on number seven, I believe, at this moment. So oh, very cool. I'm number four. Awesome. Well, um, we would love to kind of uh, dig in and ask you some questions about your life. Sure. Um, so we found out a little bit in the keynote that you um, – you know, moved to Saudi, but I was kind of wondering about the years in, in there. So what year did you arrive here and when did sure. you leave? I'll, I'll give you a little stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> like uh, so <clears throat> my father took a job at Aramco, uh, at least I thought he did, in uh, December Ooh. of 1954. We were living in Pittsburgh at the time. He left in December. Uh, my mother and I left in December of 55, but it took us four days from New York to get to, to uh, Arabia. It took us two days in, from Pittsburgh to New York because we were going by train and yeah. there, were other, there were other problems. So that, that brought me to um, Arabia on January 2nd, 1956. Wow. Okay, a date, and you a were... date which will live in infamy. Yeah. <laughs> to coin a phrase. <laughs> um, and how old were you? I was nine years old. Okay. Yeah. And then, and you were here for how many years? So <clears throat> then I I had my first uh, schooling in Dharan till uh, September of '56, mm -hmm. which which point I moved to Rastanura. Okay. And then I had five full years in Rastanura. Mm -hmm. uh, graduated from uh, the ninth grade in '61. Uh, and then I went off to boarding school. Wow, very cool. And then I came back, I guess, what, four summers after that as well. Okay. As a returning student. Oh, interesting. Which boarding school did you go to, and how did you adjust after your time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, not, a, not a particularly nice question, uh, <laughs> but it's good. Uh, so I, I, um, I apparently didn't adjust my first year at uh, ACS in Beirut. Really? Uh, and as a result of that, I got to do the 10th grade over in uh, Michigan at a school called Cranbrook, and I went there for three years and graduated. You talked a little in your in your keynote about how you weren't a great um, student when you were a child, and you were kind of the class clown. And we know kind of your success as in your career. Where was the turning point where mm -hmm. you went from a student that needed to repeat a 10th grade to... Right. Right. So the big the big step forward in my life came when I got a girlfriend. Hey. hey. And I, I'm really hoping that this this podcast won't find its way to the United States because I'm already indebted enough. Uh, but she was the top student uh, in her uh, school, and uh, she to to sort of become marginally attractive to her, I felt that I had to do better. And so I did. 
So it's, instead of all these teaching strategies, what you're saying is. <laughs> <get out of laughs> <the classroom. laughs> Yes, that is correct. That is absolutely correct. So was that in high school, though? I was in high school. Yeah, and did you say you were in Beirut? Uh, no, I had gone to Cranbrook, which is outside Detroit. Oh, and, okay. Um, my second year there, uh, I think it was around Thanksgiving, I asked the prettiest girl in school to uh, go to the movies with me. Yeah. And she did. And uh, There you go. And I can't get rid of her. <laughs> oh, and this is your wife. This is my wife. Okay, Richard oh, well. P. Out. <laughs> I see you. I see the other side. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. So you and your wife were high school sweethearts. Yes. So you've known each other for how many years? 60 years. It seems longer. but <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful really? story. Yeah. How many children do you have? Two. Two boys, mm -hmm. uh, 53 and 50. And... Grandchildren? Uh, five grandchildren, nice. triplet granddaughters, and wow, that's so cool. uh, seventeen-year-olds, and a seventeen-year-old boy, and a fourteen-year-old boy. Wow! Yeah, very cool. Now, does your extended family um, do they have the same love for travel um, and experiences? Yeah, good as question. I, I, yeah, I don't think they do. Uh, they mm -hmm. have certainly some, mm -hmm. and they certainly have done some. I would say more than average, but not anywhere near to the extent that uh, that I have. Really? There's a theory out there that if you have like strong roots, you never left a town, then sometimes it pushes you to travel. If you've traveled a lot and you don't necessarily have those roots, then you're more likely to stay within a within an area to try to create those. So it's almost like the antithesis of what was presented to yes, you. Yes, I would agree that that's a sensible theory. I don't know that it's applicable every, in my case. Um, I feel that I, I would like to have stronger. I would like to have the ability to have stronger roots to Rastanura. If I could come back to Rastanura every year and spend two weeks there, I probably would. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't do a thing. I'd just go to the cafeteria and look at the water and have a great time. Uh, but um, uh, you know, obviously, my my kids don't have that feeling. They right. didn't. Uh, they didn't have that experience. And I, I think my father was a, a good example of your other situation. He grew up in a very tiny town in Maine. Mm. He always could go back there. He could al always had his roots there. And he didn't really appreciate that I didn't have that ability mm. as an Aramco brat. Right. Huh. What, what brings you, 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 you speak of almost this longing to continuously return, yeah. What, but it's not something that you can kind of put your finger on. What continuously pulls you back and calls your yeah, name back to? I, I, yeah, I've thought about that, and I, I, it's a very good question, which I don't have a good answer for. But um, I think you have uh, your memories make a place, right? Uh, so I have strong memories. Your uh, your friends that you've had there make a place. Obviously, they're gone. Uh, your um, your physical relationships with um, things have a, have a place, make, give you a place. So Rostner is very, very uh, important because it's the most like it was. Mm -hmm. Daron is very different. <clears throat> Abcake is different. Um, but but Rostner, you know, has the beach. It has the refinery. It has the terminal. Those things are the same. Now, you know, the refinery is like 10 times as big as it was. Yeah. The terminal you can't get to because of all the security. Yeah. Uh, but 
but Rostiner has that sort of feeling of sameness, and which appeals to me. Yeah, it's a place of your childhood, right? Yes. It had some really well, good yes. memories. It's, and it's, I have good memories. I have, um, I have a sense of place. When you, you kind of just started to like talk about the old Saudi Arabia that you used to see, I, mean, I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that. Like, what was it like around here? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I loved the old Saudi Arabia. I, I can't, I, you know, I mean, it's very nice to go to the Dharan Mall and see all sure. the shops and have everything to want to buy. It's very nice. But I love the old Saudi Arabia where you, the, the likelihood of you being able to buy what you want was very minimal. Right. Right. But it was so fun to look. <laughs> it was just so fun. And you, would, you could go into any shop, and the, and the shopkeeper would, would welcome you. Do you want to give you tea? Now, part of that was because the Americans were the wealthiest people right. in, the, in the place. And an, an American kid like myself right. was a potential you know, provider of money. Whereas today, obviously, the Saudis have the money, and the Americans are actually the poorest people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, nobody lifted a finger when I went into the shops in the Dalai Mall. <laughs> but but the other but but really, the shopkeepers were so nice to me. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they I I tell the story in my book about. Um, trying to buy coins at the different money changers. So I, I would, so if somebody, if a money changer had a quarter, right? A quarter was worth about a real back then. But I would, I would offer him like, you know, five gersh. I can't remember what a gersh was worth, but it, you know, it was like 20 gersh in a real or something. So I'd offer him like 1 20th the value of that quarter. And he'd sell it to me. Why? Because he had no, it was worthless to him. Mm -hmm. The quarter was worthless to him. It was worth something to me because I could, I could, I was eventually going to go to the states and spend it. Um, uh, I I went into a shop one time and I was you know bargaining and asking him what stuff he had and I noticed that he had an envelope on the on the on the on his counter and it had uh, four stamps from Aiden. And I said, oh, you know, oh, what is this? You know, you, you've, this, this letter has come for you from Aiden. And I said, look at, look at, how, look at those stamps. Look at the, the pictures on those stamps. Those are very, really. And he took the envelope and he tore off the corner and he gave it to me. Really? And that's, 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 you know, they really went out of their way to be nice to this little white yeah. kid that was always around. I mean, that's what I was. I was just always around. And as I say in my book, I had become invisible because I was always around. That's so and, cool. Uh, they treated me so well. Was English ever an issue, or did you pick up more Arabic back so then? So I, the, the, five, the five full months that I lived in Kobar, I, I could, you know, I could scream at people in, you know, various languages that were necessary to play soccer. Mm. Um, and I knew what they were telling me to do. But um, I was never particularly good at Arabic. I, I, I knew more than most of the Americans, mm. but I didn't. I wasn't terribly fluent. I, you know, I, I can make you think I'm fluent in Arabic, but I'm not, I'm not really. Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, but my father, uh, on the other hand, did work very hard, and became quite fluent and was could read and write Arabic. Which That's really, amazing. Yeah, it was very cool. Quite a quite an accomplishment. Yeah. on his part. I see that you've referenced um, your book. First and foremost, plug away. Tell yeah. us about it. <laughs> Shameless uh, plugs. Well, always it, welcome. Yes, well, <laughs> the book is a must read. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I consider there to be three books 
that are worth a special uh, plug. Uh, and they're all different, and that's why there are three books. So the first book everyone should read is uh, Discovery by um, Wallace Stanger, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And it does a very good job of talking about the uh, very early days of uh, discovery uh, leading up to Demam number seven, which was the discovery well. Uh, and it sort of <clears throat> looks at this project sort of from a top management point of view. Right. The second book that everyone should read is uh, uh, per perhaps not uh, something that Aramco would like to um, encourage. However, it's an extremely good book. It's by Michael Sheldon Cheney, I believe his name is. It's called Big Oil Man from Arabia. And it, and it tells the story from the point of view of just a middle-level Aramco American employee. And, right. and he gives a much different feel for what's happening than uh, Stanger's book. And the third book everyone should read, of course, is by far the most important, <laughs> um, which is my book, Aramco Brat. Uh, and it is a book that looks, uh, that tr at least tries to uh, tell the story through the eyes of a young person, uh, my, myself as a 9, 10, 13, whatever year old. Uh, and I think I see different things than the other two books. I, mm. I, you know, other things resonate with me because of how I'm positioned to look at this story. Uh, and I think I think all three of those books are good. I have two kind of questions that go together. And the first part is, um, what made you decide that you needed to write this book? And then the second question that goes with that is, um, what was the writing process like for you kind of like yeah. Emotionally and actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, why did I write the book, mm -hmm. number one? Uh, well, first of all, I felt there was a lot that I knew that would be lost mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I'm 76 years old. There's no, there, there are very, very few uh, adults that are still alive that saw the story that I saw. So, as a ki so I saw it as a kid. There are some kids, but even then... Uh, I had a very unique window on this experience. My father was not an in-camp employee. He was an out-of-camp employee. Uh -huh. My father was very anxious to include me in all of his experiences. It was very, very, you know, I think he felt bad that he'd abandoned me for, you know, basically 18 months. And so he, whenever he could, he involved me in things that he was doing. Uh, so most Thursdays, which was our day off, I would be with him uh, either all day or I would go and visit him at his office in Rahima. He worked in Rahima uh, and would spend a half hour with him and then I would drive home with him. So, so I was an out-of-camp kid, mm -hmm. uh, very much unlike all the others. Why else did I write it besides that? Um, I, wrote, I wrote it because I suddenly had time to write it. So you retired from your job? Well, uh, not totally, but I was locked down by COVID. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. okay, this is And COVID. so I, I wanted to do something productive. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was starting in the second year of COVID, uh, which is basically starting in January of uh, 2021. Uh, I, I couldn't travel. I, mm -hmm. I just 
So I wanted to do something, and so I did that. Now you ask about the writing process. Uh, oh, but but let me let me continue. So the so I wanted to get these facts down, which I was afraid would be lost if I if I didn't write the book. Uh, secondly, I wanted to give a Ramco kids the at least an inkling of the powerful sense of place mm. that we all have. If I didn't do it, nobody would. Right. So mm. I felt it was you know my responsibility. Okay, you ask about the writing process. So I. Um, and I didn't. I didn't really start knowing I was going to write a book. Right. I started. I was going to write a story of my friend in Beirut. I, I sort of wrote what turned out to be twice of it. I ended up cutting half of it. But anyway, I wrote that. And then, <clears throat> then I wrote about my first trip from the United States to Arabia. Mm. You know, the the four the two days, you know, the day on the train, the, the trip, stopping in all these places, and how excited I was and what, a, what an impact that had on a nine-year-old. And then, then I got uh, sort of motivated, and uh, I, did, I, did what the, I did the hard thing. I wrote about my parents dying in the plane crash, uh, my sister. And that I did sort of because I needed to do it. I needed right. to get it out. I'd never... I'd never uh, really dealt with it emotionally, uh, so I cried a lot, and I and I wrote it up. Um, I had never opened the boxes of my parents' um, effects that were set back to me from Arabia after they died. Um, so, so I I felt I needed to do that. So 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 that was that was the third thing I wrote. Uh, and of course, once I once I did the hard one, then the others came easier. Uh, so I worked, uh, I worked every day for uh, not quite, I guess about 11 months every day. Uh, I worked never less than two hours, never more than 16. Okay, great. Okay. That's a, that's a range. Yeah. That's, and how did that, because even now you can see um, pieces of the process on your countenance. Um, how did that process change you as far as writing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, having never dealt with the emotional trauma of it, it was really good to do it. Um, I, I, you know, when I was writing that first chapter, I, I sobbed quite, yeah. quite often. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Um, I had never, I had never told my children about, you know, some of the things that happened. Uh, I mean, they, they knew they knew about the crash at that point, but they but they they, they didn't know about the crash until they were probably teenagers. Mm. Uh, uh, my wife did because she was my girlfriend when it happened. Uh, so yes, I, I I think it did. It it sort of relieved me of a lot of emotional burdens that I've carried for you know fifty plus years. Mm. 57 years, whatever. So you decide to dive into your psyche. Yes. At 74. Yes. Why? Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't have done it if one, I was locked down by COVID, and two, I felt that needed to get the story needed to be told. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't do it. It turned. It turned it, well, you may raise an interesting point. Uh, who was the big uh, beneficiary of right. me doing it? Well, I was, but I didn't even think about that. In fact, if I had known how good it was, I wouldn't have done it because it was too damn painful. Really? But once I started, I had to carry it out. 
So really, you really you wouldn't have done it no. had you known no. it was that painful. No, no, it was way too painful. Way too painful. It was oh. better to leave these things trapped in your subconscious and never <laughs> let them out. Really? Yeah. How do you feel about the world knowing your story, though? Well, so, it's of yes, uh, yes, very good question. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's very, you feel naked, right? Sure. I mean, it's very, it's very upsetting to know that people see uh, your pain. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's it's very hard. Yeah. Uh, but you know, once I once I decided I was going to do it, I just said I'm going to do it. So, again, if I if I'd known how hard it was going to be, I wouldn't have done it. But I did it. It's so very I'm, brave. I'm glad I did. No, I no, it was just stupid. <laughs> it wasn't brave at all. <laughs> Not brave at all. I don't know about that. And if you if you look at your like the the, the pre. Uh, rich before you wrote the book and then mm. after you went through this process in the post um, mm -hmm. what what changed uh, so I'm much more willing to be vulnerable mm -hmm. than uh, than I ever was before you know I was always mm -hmm. I don't know how to capture that in, in words but you know I was just you know I'm rich Howard I'm gonna that doesn't matter what you throw at me I'm gonna mm -hmm. deal with it and now I you know I'm a little more humble yeah and do you not quite like? so obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty obnoxious, but not quite so much. <laughs> do you like the subtle? Do you like this change? In um, I'm dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just yeah. There are advantages and there are disadvantages. Yeah. That's a good thing I've got a girlfriend because I don't think I could get another one. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said because when when your parents passed away, what year was that in? Uh, 1965. So I was 18. I mean, how did who supported you? Um... Well, I had a, my my mom's younger sister and her husband were took me in, and uh, they were very good to me. Mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, I think being an Aramco brat and having lived the 18 years that I had lived in at, at that point really prepared me. Mm. much more than for a normal kid. I think a normal kid mm. it would have been really hard. But I had, you know, I had traveled the world by myself. Mm. I had bought and sold gold coins. <laughs> I had, you know, done I'd gotten in trouble. I dealt with being in trouble. I, you know, these sorts of things. Um and I I think I was basically ready. Um I would have it would have been nice uh if I hadn't had to to deal with it. But, um, you know, I, I was ready to be on my own. Mm -hmm. I think my father had, I, I don't know if he did it intentionally, but I think he was trying to get me to the point where I could be on my own, trying very hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he, he you know, I, I, I remember saying goodbye to him when I was 14, and he wanted to just shake hands. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, no, I'm going to give you a goodbye kiss. That's just... Yeah. Let's talk about your post-Aramco career. So you went to school and became an engineer? I got a welding engineering degree oh. and an industrial engineering degree okay. in four years. Okay. Uh, then I got um, accepted into the Harvard Business School, and I went there directly from, from uh, undergraduate, which was quite unusual at the time. Probably still is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I did. I had a... You know, I graduated with a, you know, cum laude or cum thank you, lordy, or whatever, whatever it's called. 
Um, and um, so I, I graduated. I had been the, I had, I had made a real attempt to be a contributor to my colleges in, my, in those years, and I was the president of the student senate, did things like that. Um, and so I got into the Harvard Business School. Uh, I think probably because I had very nice recommendations and because I did extremely well on the on the graduate school admissions test. I was I was extremely good at multiple choice tests. I was if I if there's one thing I can do is I can take a multiple choice test. <laughs> and much to my wife's irritation, I took a multiple choice test on some history uh, I don't remember some some history that I hadn't taken a class in and I got a 700 on it because I can just look at I can look at a multiple choice test and I can tell yeah. how the to logical. guess I can just figure out how the, the tester how he is creating his excuse me how he's creating his questions and how yeah. he's creating his answers I can just tell what he's what he's trying to do um, so I where, where am I going with this anyway so I had I had done very well on the graduate school admission right. test it was in the top you know one percent of all the people that took it I uh, had the very high grades and I had uh, done these uh, uh, student uh, activities that sort of separated me so I got into Harvard uh, for which I'm terribly grateful and uh, then I when I got out I got a job as a security analyst and studying you know companies and making investments and Things, I, things went from there. I, I feel like you really, really generalized that job. Skimmed <laughs> <laughs> yes. right over. Right? <laughs> Could you give us a little bit? I have been a professional investor for, I was paid to do it for 47 and a half years. And uh, then I've continued to do it with uh, my children. <clears throat> so what is what is that entail, involved? Uh, early on, uh, it was uh, involved uh, usually interviewing managements of companies. Uh, you know, I plenty of times uh, talking to you know the president of Exxon or the president of Chevron or uh, although it was Jersey and and California in the day but but you get the you get the point um, and then uh, writing reports for my uh, bosses to to you know what what I thought was going to happen uh, that would be important to the price of securities in the energy uh, in the energy area uh, I, I wrote many reports uh, referring to Saudi Arabia and and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, oil oil economics and uh, you know the problem the, the problems with refineries why couldn't refineries make money I I spent a lot of time writing uh, that up um, and as a result of that then I as I got more experience and more uh, competency. Uh, I, moved, I moved up from creating uh, background information to actually making decisions. Uh, that 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 took about five years, and then I started to make decisions. And uh, oh, but where to invest money? Yeah, right, and uh, uh, and I ended up working at um, uh, Fidelity as as their oil analyst, uh, and then I went to T. Rowe Price and worked as their oil analyst. Then I became a, a fund manager at T. Rowe Price, and then then I went to the hedge fund in in Guilford and and made the totally made the decisions there uh, and made a lot of money it was very good um, when you look back on your on your career what do you attribute if I was to say top three things that attribute to your success I'd say the biggest thing that contributed to my success was my failures as a young student mm -hmm. tell me more about that so um, to be successful in as an investor 
you have to be independent-minded. You have to be convinced that you know the truth and that much of the world around you is either wrong or marginally wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And and that, that, uh, since I was, I I always felt as a six-year-old that uh, I wasn't stupid, that I was smart, but yet everybody treated me like I was stupid. And so I, I think that that's the biggest reason I've been successful, mm-hmm. because I, I was I had strong conviction in myself, mm-hmm. and I could look through what they thought and see the flaws in their thinking. So that that's the most powerful. Um, I'd say the second most powerful, I by having had the long period of working to create information for other people. Mm-hmm. It was about a five-year period. I had learned uh, more about the nuts and bolts of certain kinds of companies uh-huh. that I think uh, today's investor does not does not get. Interesting. So um, I have when I when I look at an oil company, for example, I I have certain characteristics that I look for, and I and they're not the characteristics that uh, most people. Would, would would top of mind character. They wouldn't be top of mind characteristics. They'd be a little. They'd be a little bit different. And so I have my own set of of uh, sort of benchmarks of uh, value and, uh, and 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 focus. Uh, so that's the second thing. Um, In education, I would kind of equate that to like a superintendent who's also been a classroom teacher. Correct. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. Absolutely the similar. Yeah absolutely similar if you've if you haven't been a classroom teacher you don't know that there's a richie howard in the back of the room that you can't call on because if you call on him you've just wasted 15 to 30 minutes right you just can't call on that kid um okay so that was that was the second i think the other thing that's made me relatively successful is i had a very stable uh, home life hmm. with my wife hmm. and with my children. Hmm. Uh, I've I always uh, I would not I don't know that that's third, but it's it might even be first. Yeah. Uh, but it's been very helpful to uh, because I've I've been a workaholic. I've you know mm. I've, I've sure. uh, for you know forty years I worked sixty hours a week. Wow. Um, and uh, when my boys were playing, you know, basketball in high school, I would always come to the games with a pile of reports. And every time the break in the action, I'd be reading and working. And if I was writing, <clears throat> I had to write, um, uh, you know, letters to clients and things like that. And I would work on them while I was watching the basketball games. And uh, so, uh, you know, I don't think if I if I'd had the wrong wife, I don't think that would have happened. If I'd right. had the wrong kids, that wouldn't have happened. Right. But the but the kids the kids helped me a lot. So. Okay, those are my top three. Wow, oh, I appreciate that. One thing that you would change since you were diving back into your, your past in some capacities. Yeah, well, I actually, believe it or not, I would prefer my parents not to die in a crash. I would change that. Um, but, but on a more uh, reasonable note, what else would I change? Well, your decisions and how you've kind of... Yeah. Would there be anything? Well, it'd be tough to say. I, I don't know that I would change it, 
But I would have liked, to, I, I can see other paths that I might have taken. Mm. I don't know that I would have enjoyed them more. I don't know that they would have been better. But I sort of would have liked to find out what was going to happen. So I would have liked to have come back to Aramco and worked. Mm. I, I think that would have been a wonderful yeah. thing yeah. for me to do. I think I would have really enjoyed it. And I think it might have led to, uh, you know, well, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like we've taken up a lot of your time, and I know you're uh, kind of the star of the show today. So um, we need we more will- of that attitude. <laughs> 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 so um, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here with just saying that this has been such an um, a privilege for us to be able to sit oh. with you and hear your story. And, no. you know, it's really special for us because we're living here and mm. listening to you talk about it. I, I was reflecting about when I am 76 years old and what mm. my memories will be from my time here. And it, mm. it kind of helps me to be present in my time mm. right now. And yeah. um, I really appreciate that. And I can't wait to read your book. Yeah. It sounds like it just really honest. And, and you are a funny guy. And, um, and I think you you got some really good stories and I can't wait to read it. Over the years I've lost a lot but never my sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. One more shameless plug for the book. <laughs> give us one more for the one book. One more shameless plug. Yes. Okay. Um Ooh, that's that's a that's a that's a really tough question because I've been shameless for the last <laughs> 6 hours. Um but but I think I think the most important thing for let's say a non-Aramco person, yeah. right. is that there are things in there about the company's early days and the American experience in Arabia that are very, very truthful and that are probably not typically understood. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that Aramco has many flaws, as those of us in this room certainly understand. But this was a very, very enlightened company for its day. It did a tremendous job of helping this country and helping its people. I guess that would be my shameless plug. No, I know. I know a lot of people. I want to um, recommend this book to back okay. home because you know we live in Saudi Arabia and uh, work for this company called Aramco, and it's not well known as to the average person. Right. So I, I have a Aramco license plate on my truck. Do you? Yeah. And so people. Do they I, recognize? No, it? they. Some of them do. Most of them don't. Yeah. Uh, but some sometimes people say, "Well, what's, what's this?" That? A license yeah. plate, and I, and I tell I tell the story, and yeah. uh, I tell them to buy a Ramco brat, and they don't pay any attention to me. But uh, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, it's, yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I'm really proud to be part of this. Yeah. History. Yeah. And, um, and thing. So. Thank you. Thank I've, you so much. It's, I've enjoyed my interview. This has been a joy and a pleasure. And you know, this is the first interview we've done uh, in person, and I yeah. feel like. Um, Kind of the synergy of being in person is Love very it. different than when we Love do them it. online. Uh, I, I would encourage you to do that. So I, you know, suddenly having to do, and by the way, you can cut this out if you want, but, yeah, sure. but, but suddenly having to do Zoom calls with people, yeah. you find that you've, you lose tremendously the the interaction of yeah. facial you, I mean yeah. you still see their face you right. still sort of feel their body language but it's nowhere near as powerful as nuance. being in their presence yeah. and, yeah. and uh, sort of the unguarded moments yeah. that that uh, teach you the you know the little the little nuances of communication are really extremely powerful and a hundred percent you you um, if you had asked me what I was good at as a security analyst which which you sort of did I would have added that. Um, I give great phone. 
I can I can get I can get your feelings through your through the through phone. the phone. Most oh, people man. can't. Yeah. yeah. So my, my sons are every bit as good of security analysts as I am, <laughs> but they don't give good phone. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a, it's, it's almost like a like a psych psychic kind of ability. It's, it's, it's 50 years of practice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very cool. Um, well, thank you, thank you. Thank this, you. We will send you the link when this comes out for you to listen and uh, share it with everyone you know. Mr. Richard P. Howard. Thank you for listening to Just to Know You. We would like to thank our amazing tech man, Mr. Kent Arimura, Sterling McDonald for the podcast music, and the SAES community. See you next time. If you know anyone who you think has a great story to tell, we would love to hear about it. Please send an email to either Angela, Darian, or Kent.